The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Now, Exoordinary Mind Facts. Did you know that humans can only see 1% of the visible light spectrum? Which means we can only see 1% of what is going on around us. In other words, we are unable to see the vast 99% of the world we live in. Take a moment to absorb that. The majority of our existence is unseen. And that was Exoordinary Mind Facts. Now, on to this week's Veritas interview. I'm Exo. Good night. Tonight's special guest was eight years old when she received her alien scoop nearby a U.S. government defense plant that was covertly expelling a million pounds of nuclear waste into the surrounding environment. This unintentionally formed intergalactic nuclear beacon attracted visitors from outer space who selectively abducted her and other humans to harvest their biological cells. Tonight's discussion will revolve around her contact with nefarious unidentified visitors, the compelling medical, clinical, physical, photographic, audio and video evidence has been subjected to critical scrutiny before arriving at unavoidable conclusions. Greetings from your host, Mel Fabregas. And if you're new to the Veritas family, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview, and all of our material, just click on the subscribe button. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and much more. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Tonight's special guest is Victoria Fitzpatrick. Victoria grew up in the suburbs of Cincinnati, Ohio minutes away from the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. I moved to Colorado in 1984, where she attended the University of Colorado at Boulder and received two Bachelor's of Arts degrees, one in Russian language and the other in Central and Eastern European Studies. In 1999, Victoria began her career in enterprise software sales, primarily in the higher education market. Today, Victoria works as a consultant in the energy and alternative medicine field and represents several technologies, therapies, and supplements. She is also the associate director for a nonprofit that creates a health water supplement. Victoria has supported the UFO ET disclosure movement for many years. You can also learn more about her story in the new book, The Second of a Trilogy by Raymond Szymanski, a veteran of this program. The new book is titled Alien Shades of Grays, Victoria's Secret Truth. And we have a more comprehensive bio on our website. Victoria Fitzpatrick joins us directly from Littleton, Colorado. Hello, Victoria, and welcome to Veritas. Hi, Mel. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's my pleasure. And for the record, folks, I have known Victoria for a number of years. I consider her a friend. And when she came to me now and Ray Shumansky about the story, I was very happy to hear because the years I've known Victoria, I knew, I knew there was a story and she was waiting for the right time to start 
before she started disclosing this. Am I right in saying this? You, why did you keep it quiet for a while, Victoria? Well, I, I remember when you and I were sitting having having a, a chat with some other people, um, and you, I was telling you a little bit about my experiences, and you said, well, when am I going to interview you? And I thought, I kind of said, I just have a bunch of random stories, and <sighs> nobody would really be interested in what what I have to say. But you know, I've always really felt that I'm more of a kind of a worker bee uh, working behind the scenes to support um, disclosure. Uh, and and so I never really saw myself as being kind of on a soapbox talking about my experiences. Um, but here I am. And it's an incredible story. You know, it's I, I wanted to say this later, but it's a close encounter of the seventh kind, and you'll define that later. But I want to go into chronological order, Victoria. Take us back to where you grew up, your family, and when the first experience occurred. So I grew up uh, in a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, uh, lived in uh, the little house on Capstan Drive until I, w I was born there, and I lived there until I was uh, 12 years old. And my earliest memory was you know, when I was little, I mean, I had these quote unquote dreams where I had these ant people and they were all around the ceiling in my room. And the dream was over and over and over uh, year after year, it seemed. And they were strangely, they were threading, they were like winding thread around my room. And they were little, but there were I mean, as a little kid, you know, I mean, I can still see it in my mind's eye, all these ants around the top of my room, like winding this thread through their hands, like you would kind of pass a rope back and forth through your hands. And they were winding thread around my room. And what the heck does that mean? I don't know. But it was it's my most vivid memory from when I was little, like maybe four or five years old. And the memory has been very, very clear my entire life. And so, um, you know, when we talk about one of my regressions, I'll, I'll, I'll bring that up again. But so it was the ant people in my room. And then I had another um, memory where I was standing in front of my window that looked out on the, the front of my house onto Capstan Drive. And I just remembered this parade of uh, the Michelin tire man who was really, really big I mean, I was a little kid, but I saw them going down my street from right to left. And they were the, the Michelin tire man and then um, a UFO, like the uh, regular like disc, the quintessential UFO disc. But it had rainbow lights around it. And then behind it was, um, strangely enough, the robot from Lost in Space. So it probably was some kind of a screen memory, but... When I saw the movie Ghostbusters and they had that big marshmallow man yep. walking through the city, I my heart stopped because I was like, oh, my gosh, that's like my Michelin tire man. It reminded me so much of that. Um, so those are my two earliest memories. My mother reported when I was little, four or five, six years old, that they would find me outside in the middle of the night. Uh, sometimes with the door locked um, from the inside. 
And, you know, I'd say, well, what was I doing outside? And she said, well, when we asked you, you said you were going to the bathroom and, you know, which made no sense to me. But, you know, back then I wasn't really talking about my experiences and and things that I intuitively felt that I knew. I, I, I never really had to believe in the ET presence. I hadn't, I feel like I had an intuitive knowing that it was so true. And so I never felt like asking my mom to investigate any further about those. And, and she's deceased now, so I couldn't go back and ask her. But those are my early, early memories. When you say that you have memories, are these memories coming back after your regression? By the way, you couldn't have asked for better people to hypnotically regress you. I mean, come on, Dr. Leo Sprinkle, Barbara Lamb, Yvonne Smith, you can't get any better than that. I mean, Dr. John Mack is no longer with us, but these are the best of the best, aren't they? They certainly are, and I feel very uh, fortunate and honored to have been able to work with them. So when it comes to your memories, do you think you're now hypnotically, do you have, are you hypnotically enhanced, you know, when it comes to your memories? So those three memories, or those two memories with the ant people and the, um, the Michelin tire man and that going down the street, those were very strong memories throughout my entire life. Those did not come out in regression. Um, although there was some clarity, uh, through the regression about those, um, experiences and possibly what they were doing and why they were doing it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, my, I sought out the regressions based on conscious events, but they weren't conscious events where I was like face to face with an ET or remember consciously being on a craft. Everything was in my mind's eye. Um, although I did have some conscious events that, um, that Barbara and I examined and some conscious events, um, that, uh, Yvonne and I examined in those two regressions. And so, um, and I found out a lot about those, um, conscious events and what led to them, uh, I found out during the regressions. Before your regressions, how much did you remember? Um, I remembered the ant people and I remembered the, um, the parade going down the street. Um, and I just always had a very keen interest in anything that was paranormal or UFO ET related. And, you know, I just kind of was in the background, just living life and, and being interested in, you know, alternative things like that. Um, you know, I had some, uh, as I look back now, after Ray and I have worked on this book and I have, you know, m- scrutinized some things in my life a little more closely, um, you know, I had physical symptoms of a contactee of, you know, being, um, you know, in, in a hybridization project, I believe, um, based on other information that I've learned and physical things that I had in my life all through my life. And if you want me to explain that now, I will. Before you explain that, have you been in touch also with Dr. David Jacobs at all? I have not. And I mean, I know I've heard of Dr. Jacobs and I have not read his books, but Ray has been reading his books and another book. And he said that a lot of the things that are in, um, my regressions um, that Dr. Jacob had described. And so I really want to get his book and read it. Um, I can't 
remember which one it is now. Ray told me, but he's been reading it. Uh, and, and also one of Dr. Mack's books. That's I guess why, there are some similarities. Yes, that's why I asked you. Was there anyone in your family involved with the military or government projects at all? Um, not, I mean, I think my great grandfather was in, um, the military. I think he was in world war one, but you know, no, I don't think so. Um, my mother, you know, worked at that government plant. Um, there you go. But well, I guess it wasn't, a, it wasn't a government plant, but it was a, nuclear. Um, it was a nuclear plant, wasn't it? Yeah. But you know what? I didn't even, Ray found that out. I mean, he, he found out that you know, that they call it the second Roswell because they um, videotaped UFOs over it and stuff. But I just happened to tell Ray, I said, you know, my mother had this really terrible autoimmune disease. She had one of the worst cases of rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and she was diagnosed at 21 and she started working. At, it was called National Lead of Ohio back then. And I was just happened to tell Ray, I said, you know, my mom were, my mom had this really terrible disease, rheumatoid arthritis. And you know, she worked at a place with the word lead in it. So I can't imagine that was good. So Ray started investigating, you know, that facility. And he's the one who broke open that whole thing that, you know, that that um, they were spewing out three or some odd time the nuclear waste that was allowed by the EPA or that was safe, uh, according to the EPA. And um, it just it, it just really struck home as wow, that must be it. And so she worked at National Lead that later was called Fernald. And um, they, they videotaped UFOs over it. They, you know, there's a lot of reporting of UFOs over the National Lead slash Fernald plant over the years. It's closed down now. Um, but my mom worked there. I think she started at 19. And she probably worked there until she was in her mid twenties. And she was diagnosed with her rheumatoid arthritis at 21. And she carried both my brother and myself. Um, you know, she was pregnant with us both when she worked there and my brother and I, um, were only 22 months apart. My brother's also deceased, but we were 22 months apart. And in that, um, you know, the period of time she wasn't pregnant with me, she had two miscarriages in between that time, you know, so Ray even, you know, hypothesizes that perhaps they weren't truly miscarriages, but more, you know, she was carrying and then, and then the fetus was taken. I don't know. I don't have any more information on that, but I do know she had two miscarriages between my brother and myself and she carried us both to full term, uh, while working at national lead. Why do you think these facilities and this facility was not part of the department of energy, correct? I don't know for sure um because ray really studied it all it they had a uh, department of defense contracts i know that oh there you go um, okay but, so at least they had some affiliation via contracts uh, contractors but my question was basically when it comes to nuclear facilities or energy facilities why do you think they become more like a magnet a beacon i mean look at malmstrom 1967 mm -hmm. the 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 uh, testimony from Captain Robert Salas and many others. Why do you think that UFOs come to these facilities almost like, uh, what's the word I want to use, uh, bees to honey almost? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I think the answer is that 
you know, because of the nuclear capabilities and the destruction that could be. And if they if national lead was spewing out, you know, three times the EPA, um, you know, safe standard of nuclear waste, then maybe, you know, they were monitoring it. And then, of course, at Malmstrom, they, you know, had 10 uh, they had, I think, 10 stacks there that that were all taken down. Um, and, you know, so it's it's about the nuclear uh, the nuclear power, I guess. Based on, and we're going to get into your story, but based on, based on what you have experienced, what combination of properties must an individual possess to become a target of alien abduction? Well, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't, you know, I think the only reason they probably found me, I, I, at first I thought they found me because of my close proximity to Wright-Patterson, you know, because I grew up about 15 minutes from Wright Pat. And I thought, well, maybe they found me that way. But then discovering this whole national lead for story, you know, it would make perfect sense that they would be studying, you know, the effects of, of radiation from in vitro through, through birth and life perhaps. And, and like I said, I lived within five miles from, from national lead and lived there until I was 12. And then we moved, you know, just a few miles into another, um, you know, little local town. So I was still really close throughout my life. And um, one of the things that really helped validate for me was, so in 2008, I did my first regression with Leo. And in the regression, towards, you know, I think it was towards the end, I said something, I said, the ETs are surprised that I'm as strong as I am because my mother and my brother are not strong. And I thought, why on earth would I say that? That makes absolutely no sense to me. And that was in August of 2008. Well, then fast forward to 2018, when Ray started investigating the story, it would make sense that they would study me because to see what the effects were and why they would say that in the regression that they wanted to know why I was so strong and my mother and my brother weren't. Do you see what I'm saying? Why it, do you think you were stronger than them? I have absolutely no idea. But I mean, I am so blessed with such great health, mental faculties, and I thrive. Um, I mean, that's my, evident. My, that's evident. When somebody sees you, they don't even know that you're half your age, by the way. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know why I thrived and my brother didn't and my mother didn't. Um, I just have absolutely no idea. It's a mystery. Mel Wheatley-Streber, Melinda Leslie, whom you know, and many others, mm -hmm. they report the abductions, but they also report the MyLab. And since you are close to Rypat, and there's this facility close to you where your mother worked, do you think... That in addition to the, let's call them ET abduction, do you think that a MyLab might have ensued after? Well, I don't know. Um, through my regressions, um, they, I believe they were all um, ETs that, that I was interacting with during the regressions. And because I have no conscious memories, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. But I did have, and it's in the book, one day... Um, two men came to our door and I was probably, I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine at the time, maybe 10. Um, 
and two men came to the door. The men in black? I, they weren't, they, no, they were dressed in like, I, I remembered as being kind of like work pants the way my dad would. He was a foreman at a paper mill and he wore like, you know, dress slacks and a short sleeve shirt okay. with a pocket protector always. And, um, and that's what I remember these guys wearing. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.